Bill Scheidler did such an excellent job last week. Sue and I were just really blessed listening to him and sharing like only Bill can share. And he's just such an excellent teacher. And what a great honor it is to have Bill Scheidler with us. And I'd like you just to honor Bill that he just is chosen to be here uh, in this church. Pastor, Pastor Pete had asked Bill and I kind of do a back-to-back thing, uh, teaching series on transition and, uh, and uh, the topic uh, as we approach our 25th anniversary uh, and transition weekend, which is going to happen two weeks from this today. It's going to be a Saturday night service on the, on the 27th. It's actually going to be the installation of Pete and blessing of Tamar and sending them in is our lead pastor, based on your vote today. Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate our 25th anniversary. And then Sunday night, there's some type of party you're going to throw for me and Sue. And uh, I, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm excited to see what's going to happen. We have pastors coming in from around the country. We, got, uh, we have friends of our church. People have been a part of our church for a long time, been invited to, to come and uh, our, we're, I'm doing a church plant retreat for our, our church plants. So they'll all be here and they'll all be participating in the services and emceeing the services. So you get to see a lot of old faces here. They were part of the beginning history of this church. And so it's going to be an exciting time for those who've been part of the family for a long time and those who are just joining the family. You're just going to have such a sense of being rooted into the roots and history and now the future of, of this church, and um, just exciting. So I'll be, you know, I'll be officially not, as Bill said, I'm not stepping down. I'll be officially stepping aside. Uh, everyone's saying, uh, talking about retirement. I'm not really retiring. I'm redefining is really what I'm doing. People are saying that. I was at Zoe conference with my son-in-law, the conference he does in Los Angeles, and he introduced me, and you know, said, and they've run, he's run a race well. In two weeks, he's going to transition his church. And it's like kind of a pre-funeral thing. And I, and I kind of, and, I, and people go, congratulations, what are you going to do, you know, now that you're done? Well, I'm not done. I just have some different assignments that Jesus has given Sue and I, and that's what we're doing. So that's why we're voting today. And uh, so I want you to exercise your membership privilege and, and I believe your responsibility in doing a confirmation vote today. And uh, I want to just say this. I'm going to say just a few tri- uh, some tribute thoughts about Pete and Tamar. You say you're campaigning. Call it what you want. Call it what you want. But Pete is going to be a great lead pastor. I'm just going to tell you that right now. He's a, he's a strong... He's a strong leader, as his elders have found out. I mean, once he digs in, he digs in. And you don't want a wimp being at the helm. He's, he's a strong leader. He's a great administrator. He loves this church. He's got a great gift of exhortation, and he has a real ability to push people forward. What he believes God has put that, what God has put on his heart. Tamar has the makings of a great Bible teacher. And I'm just going to say that publicly. I encourage her all the time. What she even is today, I guarantee, even Pete in his preaching, what they are today, they're not going to be tomorrow. They're going to be much more as their growth and their development's taking place. I'm impressed with the leaders that God is raising up in the body of Christ. At the Zoe conference that we went down to, it started off being, you know, Chad, who was probably a nationally known hot youth pastor, with all his cronies 
who were all nationally known hot youth pastors, who all started churches and became out of the chute great hot churches. But what was really prevalent to me, I mean, evident to me uh, at the conference is that these, these young men have matured into great leaders, and they are not the leaders of tomorrow. They are actually the leaders of today. I was so impressed with their maturity. I was impressed with their wisdom, their leadership, and all that God has cultivated in them, even in their journey right now. It is time for one generation to pass the baton to the next generation. That doesn't mean that generation's passing the baton is done, but it is time to, to watch some great leaders become great leaders. And uh, that's going to happen here at City Harvest Church. I chose Pete and Tamar because they love and embrace the values that Sue and I embrace and love and that what we've placed in this church. Things like mission, things like community, things like what we experience today, the presence of God, things like worship, things like the prophetic. For instance, on September 18th, you're going to have Charlie Sweet here. Some of you guys know Charlie Sweet, the prophet. He's going to be here just releasing his gift. I won't be. I'll be in Dallas, Texas, ministering, and Sue you know, might be here. She might sneak in the back, you know, but I'm a good friend, Charlie, who I think is a very, very profound prophet in the body of Christ. He's got one of the most, the deepest uh, word of knowledge gift that I've ever witnessed. And uh, the problem when he works with another prophetic team, they all get intimidated by his level of revelation. And, and so he's going to be coming, and you're just going to have a great day. Things are not changing. It's the same old church Okay, moving forward with some fresh paint and fresh, you know, systems and fresh vision and implementation, and it's exciting. But here's the issue. That doesn't mean that things are not different in the transition. Things have been different in the transition, and that doesn't mean that Pete and Tamar are not different than Sue and I. They're different than Sue and I. You only want one of each of us, right? You know, in other words, it's not like we could joke, like you only can handle one Bob McGregor. But, but, but that's not the issue. God is a God of variety. Two snowflakes are not the same. He, it's interesting, even children who are formed in the womb by the same parents, they're just different. All my kids are different. And all you parents know who raised your children, your children are different. God created them uniquely different. There's some family chemistry, like my family's very loud, real loud. And uh, now that I have, I have five women and one me, and one of the things I noticed, and it's really kind of been irritating me lately, and I just have to deal with it, my, my, my children, my daughters, and my wife all talk to each other at the same time, and they both talk at the same time. No one listens. They just talk, and somehow they comprehend each other, and I just kind of curl up in a corner and hide. I just, uh, we're all different. And, uh, but here, here's what I want to talk to you about today. Why God changes things. Now, how many would agree with me that there are a lot of changes as we go through life? You know, I love when you're growing old jokes, you know. You know you're growing old. Like, you know you're growing old when you sit in a rocking chair and it, you can't get it going. You know, you know you're growing old. You know, you know you're, going, grow, when, you're, you're growing old when you enjoy hearing about other people's uh, operations, I mean, young people don't, but when, when you're my age, you really, oh, so they worked on your duodenum. Tell me about that, what that was like. And, uh, you know, hip replacements, knee replacements, you know, you, you get this, you get this, and you get that, and you got to go, I'd had that done. When they did it to me, they did it like this. And 
I mean, you, you share kidney stone stories, you know, gallbladder stories. And when you start enjoying other people's operations, you know you're growing old. You know you're growing old when, when you, you know all the answers, but no one's asking you any questions. I've noticed that a lot. No one's asking me any questions anymore. Not only in the church, my own family. No one's asking me any questions. So I, I have a, my own private Q&A. Uh, uh, well, the thing I know that you're growing old is when you start singing along with elevator music when you're in the elevator. I'm leaving on a jet plane. No one else knows the songs. All right. You know you're growing old when you're having arguments about Retirement plans. That was, a, that was over everyone's head. Here we go. I want to share a few scriptures with you. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 will be on the screen here. And, and Paul says this, in him, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works. It works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. I want you to notice some words in here, pre. Destined. That means God is determined, and he's been determined from the very beginning to accomplish something. He's been determined to accomplish something in you, and he's been determined to accomplish something in his church, and he's been very determined to establish his kingdom and his purpose in the earth and in the universe. God is determined. And according, it says according to this plan, he's determined to fulfill his plan, which we're going to call his will. And he works. He, 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 works every, he works out everything in conformity to that. In other words, God is moving his church, and God is moving you towards a destination. And then, of course, that destination is his purpose. The last word, his purpose is to fulfill the very reason why you and I live. You know, I do a lot of people watching. It's just, I've always been that way. And I, I start thinking about where did that person come from? What kind of family they have? What's their background? What have they suffered? What achievements they've had? I, I just do that. I think about maybe it's the prophetic or the pastoral in me. I just do it. I just come into church today. People are walking their dogs and, and, uh, or out jogging and they're doing this. They, they really aren't really in the house of God today, but they are enjoying life. But are they really fulfilling the purpose by which God had designed them. Do they really understand the reason why they're breathing and, and living? Well, let's look at to another scripture. James says this in James chapter 4. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes Instead, you ought to say this, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You know, there are two truths here in this particular scripture. One, we have our plans. Two, God has his plans. Oh, that involves a thing called change. Psalm 16 Verse 9 and verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course. And what happens? But the Lord establishes their steps. Anyone here have a plan that did not happen, but something else happened that turned out to be really good? Your heart planned the way. Your way didn't happen. God disrupted it. But what God disrupted, it actually landed in a pretty good place. Come on, anyone has 
And everyone here, we, we all know this. We've all, we've all had our plans disrupted. We, 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 we got a great idea, great plan, great vision, great chart, great steps, and all of a sudden, God comes in. I am God, and I'm sovereign. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up. My daughter, Julia, is actually, a lot of you, some of you don't even know Julia. She was really a part of the church in the beginning years, and she kind of started, she moved to Seattle back, way back, like probably 2003, and uh, went on her own journey, and now she's with her husband down in Los Angeles, pastoring a great church, and she's become really quite the national speaker. But one of her famous sermons are really dealing with God disrupting your plans and dealing with Mary and what Mary is a young Jewish wife and a future Jewish mother, the dreams she had about her first child. And, I, and how many would just say that it sounds really great as we celebrate this thing in Christmas that a virgin had a child, but really the context of that thing is rather difficult and alarming and anything but nice. Okay, God asked her to do something to basically surrender her public reputation. And then we got to look. But she was be falsely accused of being basically a very loose and moral human being. It opened up all sorts of accusations. But yet she submitted to the plan. And Julia likened that because when she was pregnant with her first child, she knew it was going to be a girl. She decorated the, the room and named her as me, George, and all these themes were on the wall and everything. She had the whole dream of this girl that she's going to bond with, and she's going to, you know, take to parties, and she's going to dress her up for her first prom and this whole thing. And she has a child that has listened cephaly, and they give her, at the time, they gave her a 50% chance to live till two. Now, George is 10 years old. She's defying the odds but yet she's tube fed four times a day and she can't talk and she's non-ambulatory and she could die like that by a seizure, just like die like that. In fact, we talk a lot, the, the grandparents, like which one of us will be watching her when she dies on our watch. That's the reality. So all of a sudden, Julia had this plan, but God allowed something that completely disrupted that. And you say, well, the devil brought that. Well, you can, but God is still sovereign, and he uses things that he doesn't even approve of to bring about his glory. My granddaughter and all her handicap gave Chad and Julia an international platform that can never, ever have obtained themselves. God has his ways. He disrupts sometimes our plans. A man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Going on, another scripture Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Now notice what he does. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. God changes seasons in our life. How many people have noticed that? Come on. He changes seasons in his church. He changes and, and some of those seasons that he changes are difficult seasons. He takes us in those changes through some difficulty, and it's not comfortable. But God is in it, God is in control of it, and God lands the plan, the plane, because God is in this changing of seasons. That's what he, he, he does. Now, to embrace change, we have to have a, a, the conviction that really that life is this. It's about God's will. It's about God's will. Notice the book of Revelation. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will, everyone say by your will, 
by your will they were created and have their being. Come on, God willed creation. God willed our world. God willed the universe. God willed the animal kingdom. Some of, how many animals do you, are there, can you name some animals you don't like? God willed them. God willed them. When we were in Kyrgyzstan, we went to one of these eagle demonstrations where they train the eagles in the mountains, and they fly, and they come back, and they land on your arm, and we got to hold an eagle on your arm. Now, the issue, this particular eagle, and these eagles are trained to kill wolves. Okay, so you got this animal on your arm that tears a wolf apart. What's preventing that eagle to tear you apart in a second? You know, there's some animals that I don't like, okay? And you're just a little bit uncomfortable. But God, just this is my will. It's my creation. I, they're going to teach us things. They're, gonna, they're going to reveal my glory. They're going to give praise and honor to me. It's God's will. You know, we know this scripture, Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom. Not seek first pleasure or your wants or your taste or your plans. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When I was 22 years old, I received a prophetic word. Every aspect of that word has come to pass. But he said, God, I will strip you of all material desire, but all that you will want is the kingdom of God. Now, I have some material desire, so I don't know if I'm completely sanctified by that word. But there has been a stripping in my life and in Sue's life where we've made a lot of choices based on the kingdom of God over what we wanted. You know, right now, there's a big buzzword in the church called grace. Grace, 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 grace is taught, grace is cry. And, and grace is great, but what we've failed to understand, grace, which means God favors you when you don't deserve it. And everyone says amen. amen. But God is also, it's a favor. It's also a force working in you. He works in you to do his good pleasure. He works everything according to his purpose in your life. That grace is the means, not the end. It's the means to bring me to this place called fulfilling the will of God. By grace, it moves me to say, teach me to do your will for you are my God. By grace, God works in my, my heart saying, your will be done. Grace works in my heart to say, not my will, but your will, Lord. Okay, grace works in that, in my life and in your life. Now, this gets into the subject of change because here's the issue. God's will is not static, but it's dynamic. In other words, it's always moving forward. God is always moving forward in fulfilling his purpose. In your life, in this church, in his church abroad, he's always moving his church forward. He's taking you and he's taking the church somewhere. God is always moving us toward the future. Come on, vision, dreams, plans. Those are all future hope. Those are all future words. They are not past words. Now, the past gives us footing. That's why we have to have our footing down on a good foundation because the past kind of establishes that. But it's not an end in itself. It's pushing us forward. It's giving us the ability to move forward with intelligence and wisdom. When we lose our footing, we lose all directions on the, on the future. There's a great little book. It's called They, they Told Their Stories. Some of you may have read it. It was about this, this guy. I forget his name. He was, 
In the 1950s, early 50s, he was, kind of, it was, a, he was from Oklahoma. We found himself in Los Angeles, kind of a, 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 kind of a little crime guy, little burglaries and robbing and kind of a street kid. And uh, these two old ladies were, were witnessing out there near Venice Beach, and they ran into him and uh, shared the gospel with him, and they just happened to be belong to this rest home. The rest home was a rest home that was actually built and, and designed for the children who were involved in the Azusa revival of 1906. And they built this home now that they're in their elderly years to retire. I forget the name of the home. And so these ladies brought this guy, they led him to Jesus, brought him to the home, and he stayed there for two years. And with tea and cookies, he listened to these old timers tell their stories of the three-and-a-half-year revival of Azusa Street. And what was interesting is that in that great visitation of God, where, guys, there's just stories beyond our imagination which took place there, many camped, and they never moved on. They just kept talking about the past and the glory days and all that took place. Others, they started going forward and fulfilling the purpose of God. They took that, and that was a great thing that God did but now I need to move forward in what God has for me now. We, God is always moving you, and he's always moving me into the future. The thing that God is always doing, he's always about changing us. <laughs> we don't take sabbaticals from God's dealings. How many of you have ever had a fight with your wife or your husband on vacation? Well, we, we can't fight. We're on vacation. I remember being on the streets of Rome. We're kind of lost. And I told Sue, you walk on that side of the street. I'll walk on this side of the street. <laughs> We're supposed to be enjoying ourselves, you know, or fighting over maps, okay? Thank God for GPS. I mean, I'm telling you, that has saved us from so many fights. The old days, guys, when you had the map out, when you had the husband and wife there, that was called World War III. And... Uh, <laughs> I mean, God's not done dealing with my attitude, okay, when I'm on vacation. He's still working on me. There's no, no, there's no discussion in heaven. Let's just give Bob a break today. Now, I know McDonald's wants you. He says you deserve a break, but Jesus says, no, you don't deserve anything. Everything's by my grace. You deserve to be dealt with to continue to become the person I've called you to become. God's always about changing us. You know, God is always about something bigger than our personal, than our personal world, what we, don't, what we don't realize is that God is messing with your world here. It's connected to something that God is doing over here. You know, I've been taken back and, and very humbled. I've been doing a seminar on fear, depression, and anxiety, and I've been very humbled by the, by the response that what God messed my world up here by allowing me to go through some things as a child and as an adolescent, and even in my 20s, has given me such a platform to be effective over here. And so you don't know that you're, the, what God's doing with you, and even what God's doing with City Harvest Church is so much bigger than us. And that's what we got to understand. God is always doing something bigger than our personal world, and God is always preparing us for the next thing. 
The next thing, I don't like this. I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like what you're doing here. I don't like what you're doing with me. I don't like that you're messing with my culture, messing with my rhythms, or messing with my comfort, or messing with my idols. I don't like you messing with things. And God says, well, I'm preparing you for the next thing. Now, because God is about his will, this is what he does. He disrupts our plans at times. Come on. The Lord establishes his steps. He requires us to be flexible. Not as I will, but as you will. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. To surrender even to divine appointments that God's setting up for you when you leave here today. And he might have you meet with somebody or minister to somebody. Come on, it requires you to give up things and to adjust. You're at the grocery store and God wants you to share the gospel with somebody. Your family's waiting for the pizza at home and you got a half a gallon of, you know, Rocky Road, you know, ice cream in your arm. And God really wants you to help that person who can't get all their groceries into the car. And there's a divine appointment and you feel the tug. You have to surrender. You have to die. You have to let that ice cream melt. You got to let that pizza grow cold. You got to get the lecture when you got home. Where were you? You're late. The kids are irritated. Come on. God's allowed me to go through all that. Yeah, he doesn't care. He wants to deal with you to become like him. He wants you to do a divine appointment. An ear, a voice behind my ear, this is the way walk in it. It creates, he, he creates circumstances uh, that makes us feel uncomfortable. Why? So that we will walk and live by faith. Notice Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went. Now, here, this is the beautiful part. Even though he did not know where he was going. He had no, well, we're heading to Beersheba, right here, Rebecca. It's right here, be Sarah. We're going right here. No, he had, you're just going, you're going to go, follow me. I'm going to show you a land. <laughs> That's good, Lord. You're showing us a land, a, a land, but but uh, where is it? Well, instructions will be given to you as you get there. I, I never trust people who I never trust people who tell me stuff like I'm going to do this and this and this, and God's going to do this and this and this, and He's showing me we're going to do this and this and this. I I, I never do that because I've I've watched my own life, and as a pastor of other people, God does not guide that way. Look at Stephen. In the book of Acts, he's told to go into the desert. What else is he told? Nothing. Go into the desert. When he gets to the desert, he sees a eunuch in a chariot reading. And the spirit says to him, run and overtake that chariot. Doesn't tell him what he's reading. So he, next instruction, he runs and overtakes the chariot. He happens when he's there that the guy's reading Isaiah 53. And he says, what's you reading? He starts putting two together. Well, I'm reading this thing, but I don't have anybody to teach me what it really means. Well, I can't. Well, hop on in the chariot. He couldn't have put that together. He had to be flexible. He had to listen. I find ourselves, because we're so, you know, goal-oriented and Anthony Robbins, you know, you know, better you type of seminars and, 
you know, TED Talks and everything else. We're so in control. If you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to be totally out of control. The great sign that you're in the will of God is things are messy. I don't like this sermon. I don't like messy. Well, I don't like messy either, but it's part of the will of God. It's been, and if I read the Bible, everybody that I read about in the Bible, God took them through messy stuff. It was uncomfortable. The other thing that God wants us to do is this. He wants us to embrace the new season he is transitioning us into. See, Bill talked about it yeah, last week. I'm doing a new thing. In our case, I'm going to exhort you not to form little Bob and Sue clubs. I want you to embrace the new thing. Church history is filled with people forming little clubs trying to preserve the past. And they died in their own spiritual wilderness. Don't, don't form a little Bob and Sue club. Form a little Jesus club. This is what it's about. What he's doing. What he's doing with Pete and Tamar and the team and the vision and where we're going. Where we are going. This is still my church. We're not going anywhere. We're still here. This is not my last sermon. Next week's my last sermon as the senior pastor, but it's not my last sermon here. We're here to build this thing with you. We're here to be your friend. We're here to be a part of this community. We're here to hold up the hands of Pete and Mark. We're here to model everything we ever taught. We're here to do that. This is, this is where you're going to bury me. And I don't want to be buried here. I'd be kind of weird. <laughs> Maybe behind the building. I don't know. Anything God wants us to do because he's about his will, he wants us to remember that he remains the same. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. When you're going through change and this church is going through change, you need to remember a few things. That God is faithful. You need to remember that God is sovereign. You need to remember that God is present with you, present with us. We got to know that God is actively working, working in you, working in your leaders, working among the people, working in his purpose. And you got to really trust that God's bringing his plan to pass. He who began a good work in you will do what? He's going to complete it. He who began a good work at City Harvest Church, what, what's he going to do? He's going to complete it. So we could. We just trust that God's going to do a great thing. And I find in the last three and a half years when people have processed with me, that hasn't been their disposition. They've been theologically off. Because they, they can't trust that God is true to his character and his word and he doesn't change. And he wants us to, he wants us to embrace that. I appreciate that you love Sue and I. I really do. It'd be better than, man, are you sure you want to hang around here? And uh, don't you guys want to move to Arizona? Hint, hint, hint. I appreciate, I appreciate that. So as God moves forward and change takes place, I want to kind of end this sermon by addressing what I'm going to call the elephant in the room. What's the elephant in the room? Here it is. 
the church that I started, along with Jesus and my wife and my team, the church that I built, the church that I am no longer going to be the leader of it, I'm going to step away. I'm going to step away from everything that I have given my life to for 25 years. That's the elephant. You want to kind of, you kind of answer the question like, why? So I want to, I want to answer this question: Why should a lead pastor of a local church transition out of being the head pastor as he ages? That's the question. That's the elephant. I want to address that. The first is this, is because he's lost virtue due to age. You know, I'm 67. I'm soon to be here in late October, 68. It's October 30th, by the way, if you just want to mark that down. in your book. <laughs> You know, a lot, has, uh, a lot has changed in me since I started the church. And uh, I was 42 years old. Are you 43, Pete? Is that, you're, you're 44? You're a little older than me when I started. It's going to work against you. <laughs> I, have a, I have the same heart, same passion, but there's something different in me. I, I'm, I'm growing old. You know, they retired them in Moses' day at the age of 50. I mean, just physically, I'm not where I was at. I... I enjoy a boring evening at home. I can laugh about that, but I, I'm, I'm good. I'm good from about 9 a.m. to about 7 p.m., but I'm done. I'm done. People think, well, Bob, call Bob. He could just be bears burdens all the time. I don't. I, I can't do it like I used to do it. I fall asleep on people in counseling appointments. My the biggest thing that I find is that I can see somebody. I know everything about them. I know what they do for a living. I know actually where they live. I know how many kids they got, but I can't remember their name. How many people over 55 have gone through that issue? I mean, people go, Bob, hey! Hey! Hey, bro! I got, a, I got a different brain. My brain is not the same. I, mean, I don't like growing old. I mean, you know me. I, I CrossFit train. I work out with young athletes. And, but the problem is, even in athletic context, I'm not even the, what I was seven years ago. My good friend Kirby back there, he and I compete as a, as a team together. I mean, I mean, man, this is getting bad every year. You know, I just, you know. But the signs of the times are changing, you know. And uh, there's two crotchety old guys, you know. We, and we, we, actually get, we actually do pretty well. Sometimes it's because we have a lot of gas inside of us. Kind of gives a little more <laughs> emphasis. So I've aged. I mean, you're wanting the same person that was 25 years ago, and you got to come to grips that you don't have the same person you had 25 years ago. I don't like to admit those things, but it is true. I love a good nap. I walk around here trying to find a place I can nap without anybody bothering me. Second, he's, he's entered a season of wisdom versus the labor of building. You know, as they kind of look sociologically at our life, everybody here, 
they have found that in your, your 20s, you're trying to figure out who you are and where you're going. In your 30s, and uh, you're, you're developing the skills in that particular direction you're going. And then in your 40s and 50s are really your really productive years where your strength, your skill, your development, your wisdom are all combined to, to build something with great impact. And yeah, you can go into your early 60s, but somewhere, somewhere in your 60s, a shift starts taking place. And you got to turn from being a player to being a coach. You just got to, you just got, it's, it's going to happen to all of you young people. And you're kind of looking at your life. You got to plan your life and strategize your life. You know, God can use old people. I'm not saying that God can't use an older generation. Please don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm not retiring. I don't like the word. And uh, I'm redefining. I'm doing all sorts of things I don't want to talk about here, but I am busy. Pete's been really running more of the church the last couple of years. And I'm thankful for that because what I did in the last two years, I taught every book of the Bible. I have a, almost a commentary about that thick of notes because I taught and it gave me the virtue to develop my skills and where I think God wants to use my gift. And I appreciate that. But the third thing is that he has, the reason that someone would step aside, he's cultivated his gifts and skills that can now serve the universal church. God has produced in me over the years really an apostolic grace to help leaders. And uh, really, the apostolic sounds so like, woo, but really it means that you pastor pastors. You're a father to leaders to encourage them and and to give them what wisdom that you might have. And and so Dick Iverson always felt that you really couldn't be truly apostolic until you're like in your 60s because he just saw you need to have that background and all the things that took place in your life. The fourth thing is that he has been given a different assignment from the Lord. And I, this applies to your life. My call is not, for instance, I was a youth pastor for a number of years. I was very successful as a youth pastor. But my call was not to be a youth pastor. My call was not to be a church planter. My call was not to be a lead pastor. Those are assignments. My call is to preach the gospel of Jesus. And that I will do until my last breath. So I'm on, Sue and I are on a new assignment. That's all. Same call, different assignment. God shifts. God shifts your life. He shifts my life. It's, we're all in it together. He is being rewarded. Why? Step aside, he's being rewarded with greater responsibility because he's been a faithful steward. You know, God has tested Sue and I. I don't know here to tell you all the tests we've gone through, but we've gone through a lot of tests. And part of the reward of that is more responsibility. And uh, I, I mean, I receive texts all day long from around the world. People, situations from here around the world. I mean, God's given me greater responsibility. I got to listen to what God wants me to do with that. Six, he's be, that he's become a spiritual father to God's people and leaders. You know, there's a lot of Instagram sticky thoughts that you could look up. You get these one-liners, some really good ones. I heard some good ones this last couple of days. And uh, you can have some great bot podcasts, but here's the issue. You don't have a lot of mothers and fathers in the faith. 
There's a difference between being a mom and a dad and being hot on a podcast or really like woo on an Instagram quote. There's just someone who just is going to be a mom and dad to you and walk you through what you got to walk through. Paul said, yeah, you have, though you have 10,000 teachers in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Imitate my way in Christ. The seventh, he's to, he's to model what it means to be a lover of God, not a user. What do you mean, Bob? You know, if my, if my pursuit is to hang on to a position, my pursuit is to hang on to a title, or, or, or my pursuit is to hang on to an income, and, um, and uh, not follow the voice of God and it's saying to me, walk this way in it, and I want you to do this, and I want you to give up this to embrace this, and, and I just want to hang on. Then, then what I am is I'm a user of God. I'm not a follower of God. I'm not a lover of God. I'm using God for my own gains. And I cannot model that for you. And I got to know, and I got to do this. He has to learn that God will not share his glory with another. This thing's about the glory of God. This thing's not about the glory of any man. It's about the glory of God. Probably one of my favorite church history quotes is at the Memorial Westminster Chapel of the Memorial to Charles Wesley. And it says this, God buries his workmen, but he carries on his work. This is about Jesus, amen? This is what it's about. And my model to you is that I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, not a user of Jesus. If I become a user of Jesus, you're going to become users of Jesus. I've got to be a follower of Jesus. And my model to you is that I must decrease so that he increases, so that in all things, God gets the glory.